0: Welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. We are a proud Alberta Podcast Network podcast, which is locally grown and community supported. My name is Samantha, and with me is my co-host, Indy. Hi, Indy.
1: Hello. Ready to talk robots?
0: Always ready to talk robots. Okay, um, not, not always. Sometimes ready to talk robots, but that doesn't sound as good.
1: So if somehow this is your first episode Uh, There will be spoilers today. This is a movie that Samantha had never seen, and I suggested it for the podcast. I'd seen it many years ago, but not in a long time. So we are going to discuss that. We'll probably get into some thematic stuff, if that's the kind of thing you're into listening to. And who wouldn't be? Who doesn't want a good breakdown of cartoons?
0: That's what we're all about. A good breakdown of things you thought you knew about.
1: So first question, the titular question, upon re-watching it, yep, I still love this movie. But Samantha, do you?
0: I liked it. It was good.
1: And if you're new to the podcast, that is a pretty common response.
0: <laughs> she liked it. It wasn't Into the Spider-Verse.
1: Well, no, but what
0: is? Right?
1: I I feel like I set the bar too high for animated films when I brought that and you loved it so much. And
0: Totoro. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's a very high bar. This one landed at like a 75%.
1: But if you're a longtime listener, you will remember that Samantha says anything over 70% is love. Yes. So you did love this movie.
0: It was a low love.
1: Low love. I'll take it.
0: <laughs> I need to write up the the ratings.
1: I, luckily, I remember love. it, but your ratings change often and usually during the episode.
0: True. Because sometimes you like convince me otherwise. That it's better than you yeah. thought? Yeah.
1: Oh, well, maybe then we can get, you were at a 75? Yeah. Maybe we can get you to 80 by the end. We'll see. So if you're not familiar, The Iron Giant is a 1999 film, which is probably the best year in American cinema, at least. Uh Mm-hmm. 99. So many good movies, but maybe a casualty of all that was the Iron Giant because it bombed in the box office and didn't even make back half of its money.
0: I think there were just some too, like there are too many good things. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: this was also the end of Warner Brothers Animation.
0: This is it?
1: I think after this, they, they shut it down.
0: Oh, that's It was sad. quite a failure
1: wow they did uh that camelot movie before and that did poorly and i think because of that they didn't try very hard with this one. Oh, like so they like, had the budget for the production but they didn't um,
0: promote it
1: yeah there was not much in the marketing oh. and they figured like almost well, this is already we're already on our way out and then it did very poorly and that
0: was the end of it that's sad yeah oh. yeah because this movie should have gotten better
1: But it has received kind of a second life over the last few years. And it's becoming uh, well known to a wider audience. And it is pretty timeless, I'd say, because it's in the 50s, but made in 99. So I feel like audiences today aren't going Mm. to be missing anything by not seeing it when it was brand new. True. So if you have kids out there, go watch it. And like I said last time, it's available in a lot of places for free. So if you use Tubi or Hoopla from your library, Mm, you can go watch it. So go watch it now because we're going to, you know, spoil it all. Yeah. But before we get into everything, let's thank our first sponsor of the episode. And this episode of I Love This You Should Too is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, You can be calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, and on any device, making it easier for them and you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Well, let's get into it. And maybe a good place to start with is with these characters, because we don't have many main characters in this one.
0: No, it's just a few people in this one.
1: So the main character, of course, is Hogarth Hughes. Uh, What did you think of our lead?
0: He was fun. He seemed like he was written very much like a kid of that age.
1: Yeah, I think he was written properly and had the concerns and the innocence that was age appropriate to him
0: yeah for sure he
1: was kind of the one who is free of prejudice and is demonstrating this childlike innocence that we're gonna see mirrored by the the giant later and he's also set up as being an outsider and he is the son of a single
0: parent yeah
1: do you know what happened to the dad
0: I read online about what happened to the oh, dad.
1: Oh, but from the movie, could you tell?
0: No, I didn't get an idea of where the dad was.
1: The, there's not many clues, but if you look into his character, he's definitely against gun violence. Right. So you might think that maybe something has uh, has instilled that in him. And he has a picture on his bedside table of a man with a fighter jet so you would think that his dad was probably a pilot who died probably violently in a war. Yes, and he also wears that um, that cap, like a, a pilot's cap, at times. Right. That looks to, but he also has a big head, so maybe it's his own. But it is kind of a comfort thing for him.
0: Yeah, I uh, I definitely didn't pick up on the fact that his dad was um dead i thought maybe his dad just like wasn't in the picture because it didn't really get talked about
1: no and if this were most other animated movies there would be a time where hogarth is acting out and then he'd run up to his room and he'd say something and he'd be crying and then the mom would be like I know I miss him too, and then they talk about it. Yeah, and this movie is like, no, no, we're not. That's not
0: what this is about. I feel like if it was Disney, they would have done that. Like there would have been a moment because, like, Disney doesn't like to leave things kind of unexplained. True, true, especially for children. Yeah, and
1: I did learn a little bit about the the making of this. Because we have that, I think it's called the Signature Edition Blu-ray, and it has some special features and such. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that Brad Bird would go to Warner Brothers is because he had more control, right? And he, I think, had tried to do something with Disney, but they're much more locked down. Of like, you right. do it our There's way. There's formulas, yeah. And he wasn't into that. And then when he went and on to do things like The Incredibles, that's when Incredibles wasn't owned by Disney. So now they are, though.
0: So. Yeah. <laughs> Everything sounds like <laughs> Disney now.
1: Also, the author of the short story this is based on was, um, oh, I should know his name, Ted Hughes, maybe? Something like that. But he was married to Sylvia Plath and was famously kind of a dick. I don't know too much about his biography, but I know that. And he had mentioned that he did write this in order to uh, comfort his children after mm. the passing of, his, of their mother. And I'm not sure about this because... I've heard these things many, many years ago, but I think uh, Bird, the director, and this movie departs quite a bit from the book, so kind of a writer as well. I think someone in his family died possibly due to gun violence, and this was kind of a response to this. Maybe it was his sister. I'm not 100% sure, so I probably shouldn't be saying anything. (laughs) But one thing I do know about is that he said his... uh, kind of thesis for this movie was what if a gun had a soul and didn't want to be a gun anymore
0: oh yeah see that that makes sense um so i read online and i don't know if this is true or not but um that hogarth's father was an air force pilot who died in the korean war it
1: makes sense time the time
0: wise yeah, yeah. But I just found that online. You know how, like sometimes the Wikipedia pages are a little more written up than they should well, be. He
1: wears a pilot's cap. Yes, his there's a picture on his bedside table of a pilot. I think I think that's safe to to agree with. So then, what about uh, Annie?
0: Is that his mom's name?
1: Jennifer Aniston as Annie.
0: Annie Hughes. Um, I liked her. She seemed like she was doing kind of the best she could, working and trying to like make ends meet, so that Hogarth had a kind of normal childhood.
1: Yeah, she was doing the best she could, and I, yeah, I really liked that character. I really applauded her efforts, and I just kind of wanted her to get a break. Yeah, you know, like she, it's it must be hard for her. She's living a tough life. Yeah, because she's alone and Hogarth is a handful and she's working all the time and mm-hmm. she feels upset that she can't be with her son more but she also needs to feed her son yeah. right so and it's a trade off
0: That was sad. Yeah. That was it was definitely um an interesting time uh because this is set in the 50s? Yes.
1: This is 57, 57. I believe. 57.
0: Okay. Um and I uh, like that's not a great time to be a single mom.
1: No, it never is, but then yeah, but, that's like, especially cuz it's I guess it is easier for her as someone whose husband presumably died in war than yes. if she were divorced because that has a whole uh, a stigma whole other to stigma, it as yeah. well back then. Or someone I who know. just
0: like got pregnant and right, right. didn't marry whoever got her pregnant. Yeah.
1: But I think having the husband dead from the war, which is probably the case, it kind of sets up something that we talk about throughout this movie About how um, like the American exceptionalism from this time comes from warfare, but we are seeing the downside of progress. And that's something that they'll mention again later, that it's a double-edged sword. I almost said sword. I was going to say, wow, you're like going for
0: that W. (laughs) I'm
1: not reading anything, but somehow in my mind, I still said sword. And then we have Dean, who is Harry Connick Jr., but I really feel like should have been played by David Duchovny. Oh. Wouldn't he be good in that?
0: I could see it. I could see it. Um, I, I really liked Dean. Dean being kind of a grumpy adult mm-hmm. who just somehow bonds with Hogarth and is like doing everything he can to kind of stay out of it.
1: Yeah. And uh, Dean is a beatnik. So he is definitely outside of proper society. Normal society. Yeah. yeah. So he's again another one of those outsider characters. And one of the big themes of the movie is to not judge those outsiders, but to learn what they're all about. And uh, and then we learn
0: Dean, real good guy. Yeah, Dean's fun. He's got this like junk business, but also is creating art with it. He's either an artist
1: that sells junk or a junk man. Junk, what do you call a junk person? Junkman? Yeah, (laughs) or a junkman who makes art.
0: (laughs) yeah I really enjoyed Dean and how he kind of like created a safe space for Hogarth and his friend
1: his oh the giant big metal friend, and at the end gets with his mom,
0: yeah, <laughs> I did not think that that was where it was gonna go because I I was like,' oh, that's a kids' movie. like we don't need to have the mom like marrying or anything, yeah, but I did. I was happy because the other person, Kent or General, is it the General or is it Kent?
1: I don't know what you're going to say. Oh,
0: uh, is kind of a jerk. Oh yeah, yeah. Is also just like very into Kent anime. Mansley. Kent Mansley, which like what a name.
1: Yeah, an appropriate name. Doesn't it <laughs> seem like kind of a dick name.
0: It's a very appropriate name for a very like patriarchal person. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and uh Kent Mansley who's played by uh, I forget their actor's name, but Christopher he's Christopher shoot- McDonald. Christopher McDonald, who's in everything, but Is he? many of us will know him as Shooter McGavin, of course.
0: I don't know him as that. Have
1: you seen Happy Gilmore? No. Oh, we should do Happy Gilmore on this.
0: <laughs> I have not seen Happy Gilmore. Well, he's
1: Shooter McGavin. Okay. And he plays like a, a dick a lot.
0: Oh, okay. I and see. he was
1: great in it. I think he's very good in this. He is a character who works for the government and is just the product of the Red Scare and McCarthyism and yeah. really embodies a lot of the downside of the 1950s.
0: Yeah, for sure. I see he was in Grease 2 and Flubber, everyone's favorite Robin Williams movie.
1: <laughs> Man, Grease 2 is is something. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer is in that one.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, let's get
1: into it and maybe we should uh, set the setting because in the last movie I picked, which was The Day the Earth Stood Still, which yes. came out in 1951, I did talk quite a bit about that time in America. And you could just go back and listen to that. But maybe <laughs> here's like a one minute version. Sure. So we are coming off of uh, World War II. America is like, we're the best. Nobody can beat us. Everybody wants to be just like us. Right. Some of those words are said directly in this movie. They're, so they're not. Uh, they're not being subtle about that part. And it's a time of increased fear of others because of the fear of communism, the Red Scare is what they called it, that right. everybody is going to come here and try to take what is ours, the, the Americans, that is.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, there was definitely a lot of that in this movie. hmm and I like
1: this movie and its take on it because it is both a love letter to 1950s sci-fi, but it's also a bit of a condemnation of the messages of some of those movies. And it messes with those conventions uh, that were established in a lot of the 50s movies, uh, sci-fi specifically. And the one movie that you've seen that was 50s sci-fi also does that. Mm-hmm. So you've gotten to see two more comments on the genre than things that were directly from it. Yeah. Because the ones that are all a part of it are not as fun. It's just, ah, there's aliens. Let's get them. And we killed them all and we win. We're yeah. the best.
0: This the, the two that we've watched are kind of a commentary on how the US was at the time. Mm-hmm. A much more critical take. Yeah.
1: Not just going along with what everything else was. Yes. Because uh, aliens were very big at this time. I would argue because the villains of American movies change throughout time. And when the villains of real America are white, then -hmm. they get replaced by something else. Because having white people on screen as the villains, people are like, nah, they're not that bad. Yeah. That's why um, Arab terrorists last way longer as villains in... American cinema than Nazis or communists did. And communists are often replaced by things like aliens or giant robots from outer space because it is just that threat of something technologically advanced trying to take what we have.
0: Yes. And And because like uh, with the Cold War, not a lot of like really big overt things were happening. It seems a lot easier to be afraid of robots or space. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And it's... The atomic bomb happened in these people's lifetimes. Yeah, that is a huge new thing. So, if the world went from how World War One was fought yeah. to how World War Two was fought with an atomic bomb in your lifetime, it's not crazy to think like, oh yeah, next step is uh, giant robots. Yeah. Why not?
0: Yeah. Because it's already
1: changed so drastically.
0: They've seen, yeah, things that worked in the First World War not work in the Second World War. And then all of a sudden, there's this like constant fear of something coming.
1: And I think this movie subverts a lot of what the 50s and 60s movies were trying to get across. Uh, There's no nuclear family because dad is missing and we don't even talk about why. The government is not to be trusted, and they don't have your best interests in mind. They make this town kind of the idyllic 1950s Americana that people love to remember. Like, this is what people talk about when they talk about making America great again. Oh, yeah. But... We're ignoring like an entire part of that society. Whenever it talks about, oh, the 50s, that's when like everything yeah. was great. Uh, we're ignoring all of the parts that were racist, the parts that were scared of outsiders, yeah. the parts that were constantly paranoid. And this movie takes all of those aspects of the 1950s and remembers that they were all part of the same time. Yeah. And that's something that's often glossed over in films. And now that we're looking back on things, we can ha- be a little more critical about it than they could at the time because it's a product of that time then yeah and i love the name of the town is rockwell which makes me think of two things instantly first is roswell uh-huh. because that is where the famous uh or alleged uh, ufo crash right. happened so here we have a alien crashing as well yeah and the next is norman rockwell
0: yeah that picture of that perfect american family
1: yeah because that's what he painted he painted this idyllic americana that didn't really exist right i know last time i said something like that people on twitter got real angry did they
0: yeah (laughs) and i was
1: like i don't even look at our twitter our instagram posts just go out on twitter it just like
0: automatically yeah
1: and I said that Gone with the Wind was a love letter to uh, an America that never existed. Mm-hmm. Because in it, like, slaves are like, yeah, this is great. And I thought they would be against slavery, you know, being enslaved and all. And yes. all these people from the South, are like, you don't know. It was great. We loved it. And I was like, yeah, but you're the slave owners.
0: though. Yeah, you had the upper hand in that little situation. So, same
1: with this. I bet a lot of people are going to say like, no, the 1950s were great. And I was like, yeah, they were great for you Mm -hmm. but at whose expense
0: yeah there was definitely in the 1950s like what i know of the 1950s which isn't like a lot because obviously i wasn't born then but um i imagine it as like a big divide between that like norman rockwell-esque family and then the people like annie and hogarth who had their family ripped apart by the war or a war
1: and Dean, who is just not allowed to be a part of that society.
0: Yeah. And then the like separation between those two and kind of pretending that the other doesn't exist. Definitely.
1: And yeah, I think that that name choice of Rockwell must have been intentional.
0: Oh, it has to be. Yeah. Cause that's exactly what I thought of. Which is, there's a movie, is it? pleasantville yes kind of
1: does the same sort that's what
0: i was thinking was like that's what everyone was striving for was that it was very like pastel and beautiful
1: yeah that movie kind of uses the color as being the opposite it's all black and white when everything is the normal idyllic 50s and then we get to see uh kind of the underside of things and then when people are kind of Enlightened and Mm -hmm. uh, wake up in a way, then we get to see the colors. But we'll save that for our Pleasantville episode. Yeah,
0: it sounds good. Look at me referencing films.
1: (laughs) She did a dance right now. You couldn't (laughs) see it, but it was her film reference dance.
0: I'm very proud.
1: (laughs) And in this movie, of course, we see all these examples of what the 50s was like. They're in class and they're watching that video called Atomic Holocaust. Oh
0: my God. Yeah. And there's
1: a duck and cover song. And those were things that happened. There were duck and cover songs. Yeah. And it won't do anything. No. When the bomb drops, the atomic bomb, your desk isn't going to protect you. I'm just it's letting It's going know to
0: be gone.
1: <laughs> and we go and laugh at them. We're like, haha, you silly people. How you lived in fear. Yeah. And uh, we also sell bulletproof backpacks on Amazon. So. Yeah.
0: And we practiced, like, we were the first generation of lockdown drills. Yes. And having, like, school shooters in our schools.
1: This movie also... I'm doing, again, I do this off the top of my head, but I think this came out a few months after Columbine, Mm. and this is a very anti-gun movie, Yeah, an anti-violence movie, and I don't know why it wasn't a bigger deal. If it's coming out in the summer of 99, gun violence is a big issue, Mm -hmm. but nobody really picked up this movie.
0: It seems like it should have been bigger. It really should have. Like, because there's a lot of really good things in this, and I feel like it should have just been way... Like, it would have been really easy to market this in that time, right? Yeah, but I think they just didn't. Yeah. Just make a new trailer. Make it a little bit more about guns, or lack of guns, or guns becoming good.
1: And then some other things from this movie that made it... uh... Kind of got their point across of what the 50s were like in uh, Bird's mind, at least. There's a line that says, uh, people wig out and start shooting when they see something like you. Yeah. Which, yeah, true, yeah. of course. And they did yeah. later in the movie. And they say like, oh, you can't go into town. People just aren't ready for you. There's talk about Sputnik spying on us. Mm-hmm. He also says, we didn't build it. So that's reason enough to fear it. Talking about the Iron Giant. Mm. Mansley is also just always saying, like, they want what we have. Right. And all of those things, like with The Day of the Earth Stood Still painfully, painfully <laughs> applicable today. I feel like percent. Oh, if you watch uh, cable news you will hear people saying these exact same things.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that was a huge cornerstone of Donald Trump's like election Yeah, was that he was going to make everything like it was when it was wonderful, even though that didn't exist.
1: But I would argue that He is being more honest there than people give him credit for, because he is going to make it good for the people that had it good then and Mm -hmm. bad for the people who had it bad then. True. So he really was. he kind of did. He was doing his best to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, his claim to make things like they were in when America was great, which I think in his mind is the 50s. Yeah, I'm sure. Into the 60s. Because
0: he was alive then, right? He would have been a child? He was alive. Yeah. (laughs)
1: But um, that's the... Even people who weren't alive look at that time yeah. as being, like, the time. Uh-huh. Before, like, you know, all those colored folk got all into businesses and whatnot.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: when you could just kill them on the street and it was fine.
0: Yeah. Should...
1: Oh, man. Again, it is fine. Again. I it's know. happening all the time. I know. But, whoa, let's just go back into... Robots. No, you know what? Let's go... Into that sort of stuff, but with the movie. Yes. If this movie came out today, mm-hmm. it would be protested against. You think so? I very firmly believe it. Because here in Alberta, a Bigfoot movie, cartoon Bigfoot movie, got like condemned by the government.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, because it was anti-oil. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So any little thing. This would be on Fox News all the time. The NRA would come out and say that it was liberals attacking their God-given right to own firearms. Right. Because it's anti-gun. You can't make stuff anti-gun. No. You're not allowed. No. Unless you are very consciously being against that and you're not looking for commercial success because for some reason... A movie about a child teaching a robot that killing is bad, yeah, would be seen as like an attack, an attack yeah. on someone's values, yeah, because that's the world that we live in, and that's the world that uh, this movie is trying to depict as well.
0: And I feel like that's like a little bit hidden within the movie; like it's not as overt as like saying it outright. Oh,
1: I might disagree with you on that because. Like everything from the subtle stuff of him going out with his BB gun and his BB gun being trampled and then him having to help instead of using his gun. And that's what leads to his greatest success and becoming friends with this uh, robot to the robot realizing that it did have some sort of mission. And the main plot of the movie is about him overcoming being just a gun Mm -hmm. and the lines where it is... uh, guns kill, killing is bad, you don't have to be a gun. Hmm. I think that's pretty, pretty explicit. Okay, you're right. (laughs) Withdrawn? Yep. All right, then. (laughs) You win. (laughs) It is not a win. You could uh, tell me how that's not the case.
0: No, you win. All
1: right. I won the movie, everyone. (laughs) So you've seen The Day the Earth Stood Still now. Yes. Have you seen E.T.? Do you see any influence from those movies in this?
0: I don't know that I, like, remember E.T. as well because it's been a while since I've seen it. But I definitely saw similarities in that, like... uh, Drew Barrymore is, like, hiding E.T. Yeah,
1: so there's the one, like, hiding like in, in plain sight. like, not ready
0: to, like, yeah. see this thing, even though he's amazing.
1: So E.T. hides in the stuffed animals, and the Iron Giant hides as a, uh, like, an art installation.
0: Yeah, which was kind of fun. Um, and also, like, the the less skepticism of children... I don't yeah. know what the actual term for that is, but like well, I the think ability in this it's to like the see like, Yeah. The them. ability to see wonder and not be afraid as your first kind of initial reaction.
1: Yeah, and both have uh the government coming and trying to take away this yes. extraterrestrial friend. Both have unexpected flight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I like that part. You can fly
1: <laughs> And both have seemingly sad endings and then it kind of comes up in the end yeah and then with the day stood still there's a lot but go just listen to that episode and watch that movie yeah because why not i think there's also a lot of king kong in this oh and a lot of frankenstein like frankenstein it gets into that whole absent creator and uh, like theological discussion of um someone who has created this thing but then is no longer there and it's like a theological argument as well of uh, us as humans for people who believe in God that we are just put here and some people believe that we've been given free will and now we get to do what we will with it and the creator is no longer here. And I like that in regards to the Iron Giant more than I do uh, our lives. Human. <laughs> yeah, because that that's the case. Uh, the Iron Giant has been made for something But because of probably this bunk on the head, they are now free to do as they will. Mm -hmm. And luckily, their biggest influences are Hogarth and Dean, and they're kind of set on a uh, good path.
0: Yeah, I liked the addition of his like dent in the head. And then when it gets like popped back out, he remembers kind of his past life in little snippets.
1: Yeah, let's get into... The Iron Giant, because that's pretty much the discussion of this movie, yeah. is the journey of the Iron Giant. And we should mention, we watched the Blu-ray, which I believe is called the Signature Edition, and yeah. it has two extra scenes, one of which is a nightmare the Iron Giant has, where he gets a glimpse of what his life would be, or has been, perhaps, mm. or maybe what his mission should be, mm. or it was. But anyways, we can't, don't really get to see much it does become clear that there's an army of these and they are weapons.
0: Right. Scary flying guns. We assume he's from space, right? Yeah, because
1: he came from the sky. Okay. So I think that we assume, but there's so much of this that is left... Ambiguous, and I kind of like it because it's not the important
0: part, right? No, it's not important. Like the
1: like the father, and where does the Iron Giant come from? Like that's a big thing that this movie just doesn't care about. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that. It allows us to focus on the actual messages that they're worried about. So let's talk about the Iron Giant and his journey. Vin Diesel does the voice, so we'll just say.
0: I I kind of just assumed it was him.
1: And this is probably the the second easiest money Vin Diesel's ever made. Yeah. Because... It's a lot of
0: like grunting and like...
1: He, I believe, has made over $60 million by saying, I am Groot. Seriously? Yeah. Because he just... He's the voice of Groot. And that's all he says. Yeah. And I think he's made $62 million doing that.
0: That's a gross amount of money. (laughs) Can
1: I take a, a brief...
0: Vin Diesel break? Yeah, Vin yeah. Diesel break. Yeah. I hate Vin Diesel, first of all.
1: Yeah, I really dislike him. Why? Why? Because he is a, I know all celebrities are manufactured to some extent, mm-hmm. but he is such a dick and such a manufactured fraud of a celebrity because first, he's going to appeal to like um like dumb meatheads. Right. Right? Because he is one dudes but he also goes out of his way to always talk about like oh i'm such a nerd all i did was play dungeons dragons all the time love me love me love me everyone bullied me i don't believe you first of all and then he wrote like all when he was younger in his acting career he wrote all of the biographies on imdb and whatnot but it's always third person so like oh we don't know where this story came from unconfirmed story about him and he would go plant all these stories. So if you look up, like, oh, what's Vin Diesel's like origin story? How did he become an actor? He what wrote you would it. find is the plot of Step Up. What? So he says that he was vandalizing this theater. And then somebody came out and said, like, hey, you shouldn't do that. Oh, you have a good look to you. Read this. And then he read a script and then he got hired. That's what he says. So and he that's was a great story. Channing
0: Tatum and Step Up.
1: Yeah. But what he doesn't mention in that, you know who owned that theater? His father. Mm. So where he got his first job.
0: Nepotism.
1: Yeah, it was his dad that gave him that job. Ugh. He wasn't vandalizing it. He was probably just like a kid and then his dad was, and he wanted to be in it and his dad gave him a job because why not? Yeah. Also, Vin Diesel, come on.
0: That's not a name. Okay, right. I was going to say that is like... A online bot, yeah. like read a bunch of men's magazine and was like, here's the name of an action hero you will like.
1: When we are recording this, they're making Fast and Furious 10, I believe. And the director, who's been in five, four of them, very talented guy, very good guy, walked because he's just like, you don't know how hard it is dealing with this man. No, oh, I bet. He walked away from probably like 20 million dollars. Just because he couldn't deal with Vin Diesel anymore. Yeah. Because Vin Diesel just constantly rewrites things. He's like, no, I don't look good in this light. We're doing everything differently. He puts entire productions, millions of dollars behind and days behind just because of his own vanity. Uh, the Rock wanted to be in more. He's like, no, I'm not working with Vin Diesel again anymore. Wow. That guy's terrible to work with. So Vin Diesel, of course, puts it on Twitter. He's like, come on, let's get the fan together and everything. Everyone's so then like, The no, Rock has you. to like publicly say like no i don't want to and we all know the reason why (sighs) and he has it like in his contract that he won't lose a fight on screen And he has to look bigger than everyone. Right. So he's a smaller guy than The Rock because The Rock's a fucking monster. The Rock is like the size of three men. So they made them shoot everything so he looks like he's as big or bigger than The Rock. So they did all this like Hobbit style force perspective just for his fucking ego. Vin Diesel is garbage and he gets paid $62 million to say I am Groot. And everyone's like, oh, did you know he does that voice himself? Real cool, huh? Also, he doesn't. It's manipulated through computers (laughs) substantially.
0: I'm sure he just says I am Groot, and then they like auto tune it and like. We're
1: the same with the Iron Giant because it's made all mechanical yeah. and everything. That's, That's Vin Diesel. Dumb! I hate him even more. <laughs> I, I don't like Vin Diesel.
0: Do you like The Rock though?
1: I think he's a good guy.
0: Yeah, he's mostly fun.
1: For a big celebrity action star, I don't think there's better. A more likable guy yeah. than The Rock because he doesn't take himself seriously. He has fun. He sings. He dances. Yeah.
0: He's just out there having a good time. And he's not like pigeonholed himself into one thing. Yeah. He's done a lot of different things. Yeah.
1: Do I have issues with him just loving everyone, whether it is like millionaires who also have uh, like links <laughs> to the sex trade? Yeah. I'm not mm. cool about that. But okay. who in Hollywood doesn't?
0: It's true. So. It's a teeny tiny little pool of jerks. Yeah. I enjoy watching his Instagram.
1: <laughs> and his Fast and the Furious, he got a spin-off because he didn't want to be with Vin Diesel. I thought it was more fun because they are, him and Jason Statham are willing to make fun of themselves, right. which Vin Diesel would never do. And that's why he's no fun to watch. Oh, yeah. So remember the Iron Giant?
0: What's that? <laughs> oh, right. We're here for a reason. Let's
1: talk about uh, this character going from a blank slate yeah. to a hero. Okay. And I think we kind of get that a bit with Hogarth as well. It seems like the Iron Giant's innocence at the beginning is because of like an injury and Uh a lack of memory, but I think it mirrors Hogarth's innocence and how he looks at the world without prejudice. Uh And I mean that in like the very literal sense of prejudice. He doesn't have a judgment of things before he sees them. And the Iron Giant can't Uh because he just doesn't have any context of anything. So... They both are kind of growing up together. And I love the idea of this giant being a blank slate because we get to see the formation of an entire personality in a, like, 80-minute movie and a tight 80 minutes.
0: Yeah, oh, it was. It was, like, action-packed. It was great. I did like the childlikeness of the giant. He was – I don't know. I just assumed that he just didn't speak English. And that he had some form of language, which probably was computer something, because he had all these other friends that were giants as well. But um, I liked the scenes where Hogarth is like teaching him words.
1: <laughs> that was fun, like
0: tree and rock and all sorts of stuff like that. It was it was kind of fun, and it was fun to see Hogarth have somebody that he could like help. Yeah, because Hogarth seems very lonely.
1: Yeah, definitely. And he learns uh, Superman, of course. Yeah. And they started his kind of hero's journey pretty early on because when he's showing him those comics, he shows him Superman and Hogarth goes out of his way to say, like, he started off just like you. He crash landed on Earth and he didn't know what he was doing. But now he uses his powers for good and not evil. Yeah. However, then the next comic he sees... Is, I think it's called Otomo, which right. I don't think is a real comic, but I'm not sure.
0: I don't think so, I, but it looked like him.
1: Yeah, so this one looks like him. It's a giant robot who is a villain. And somehow through this robot, they manage to get kind of a, a look of shame and concern. Mm-hmm. He is looking at that and seeing himself reflected yeah. in it. And he's seeing himself reflected only as a villain. And it takes Hogarth to come out and not judge him by his appearance say, like, you're not that. Mm-hmm. You're this. You are what you choose to be. And that's probably the main uh, point of the movie is, like, you, anyone is what they choose to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in a roundabout way, that little interaction with the comic of seeing yourself represented one way only that's why that's why representation in film matters Uh it seems crazy to say it but sometimes people don't know that there are other options for them if you've only ever seen people who look like you doing one thing you don't know that there's other options yeah and that was the case with uh, the iron giant he needed hogarth to tell him like no you are what you choose to be just Mm -hmm. because everyone that looks like you in this world is seen as that that's not you You choose what you are.
0: It was like the First Step Up movie.
1: (laughs) I think this is a little more eloquent than the First Step (laughs) Up movie. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: 100%.
1: (laughs) And I loved that Hogarth's view of heroism is like a child's view of it and not what the contemporary view is. Right. Because if this movie were in 57 or like came out then and it's the same story, Mansley would be the hero of it right he Mm -hmm. would be the guy who's going to track down this
0: yeah because he's like uh, assuming he's a war hero
1: yeah that is the the heroism of the day and you even see some of the kids who when they see or the video and they're talking about the iron giant they're like yeah let's bomb it yeah right that's their instinct because that's the world that they grew up in and I think even before that we have the scene with the deer Which is one of the most gorgeous ones. Because initially you have the, I think the Iron Giant is bending down to the deer. Mm -hmm. And it's just this beautiful shot. And I loved all of the autumn shots in this. Like when they're on the trees. the colors were really great in this movie. Looks gorgeous. But then the shot rings out and the deer dies. And the giant, I think, tries to like get the deer to stand back up. Mm. And in this moment, the giant learns first that death is a thing. Death exists. Right things die and they don't come back and probably more importantly to the plot the concept of guns because hogarth says um like they they shot it with a gun mm-hmm. he brings up the idea of guns and maybe this is where we get the line first of guns kill mm-hmm. and hogarth says something which is super profound that death is not bad killing is bad
0: ah and i love that it's so simple was, but yeah like, yeah, I like that.
1: What a what a thing to say.
0: There are some lines in this movie that just like kind of hit you in the right way. They're like, wow, this child knows more than like all of those army guys who storm into the town.
1: And I think that's the point of a lot of it is that innocence is not the same as naivete. Right. Like you can be innocent and wise. Yeah. And I think Hogarth, especially in lines like that, that's that demonstrates mm-hmm. it. And the giant later, who is essentially like a, a three year old throughout mm-hmm. this movie, but then has a turn at the end, like a true heroic self sacrificing turn. Yeah. Which I believe was stolen by Iron Man.
0: Okay. Remember when Iron Man
1: goes up to the sky, takes that bomb, goes into the other dimension? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Didn't Superman do that too?
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Did you well, have to like turn the earth the other way or something? Well,
1: that's that's a whole nother. Thing. Okay. That was a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> okay. he spins around. The, he flies around the earth until he spins backwards and then floods like retreat and dead people come back to life. Oh. No, we would all just fly off. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> and all there'd be so many like tsunamis and yeah. But anyways, um, what I was going to say is it's it's Christ figures again. It's going back to it's Superman, it's Klaatu, it's the Iron mm. Giant. It's a lot of that, but yeah. it's it's a, it's a tried and true method, and I think it works here. <laughs> I also love that the giant's progression as a hero isn't set against Mansley. He's not uh-huh. like fighting with him or trying to escape him or anything like that. Instead, it's all about him going maybe against his programming uh-huh. or him maybe gaining enough world experience to be able to make a choice. Because this movie is about choosing more than Mm -hmm. anything. And I love that as a journey rather than him escaping or fighting something. Mm -hmm. Because most movies with a giant robot, that would be the central conflict. And of course, it gets there a bit at the end. But if I tried to pitch a movie, it's like, no, okay, we're going to have this giant robot. And people are, oh, does it fight a giant monster? No, no, no. It um, comes to terms with death and humanity and (laughs) And um, and choices that people make. And you're like, why the fuck would I watch that? Because it's brilliant.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, it is definitely an unexpected twist on a very classic story.
1: Yeah, because I think a lot of the things that happen in this movie aren't forced. There's very few times where people are pushed into something. It's always about the choices that people make. Like Hogarth is living in this world where there's bomb drills all the time, and he is choosing to not follow with everyone and Mm -hmm. not be afraid. And then the giant is choosing to go against what he was probably programmed to be, which is a weapon, a Mm -hmm. gun. I think Hogarth's line was, it's bad to kill, guns kill, and you don't have to be a gun. You are what you choose to be. And what he chooses to be, it goes back to that earlier scene. Is he says, I think he says Superman I one yeah. point. Oh, that's just when they're playing. He puts a he, little emblem got on the little his
0: chest S on him, and he, says, and he Superman. says Superman. I think he might say it right before he takes off.
1: I think another thing he says, which was oh, super sad. I didn't cry in this, but I may have the first time I saw. Oh no! no. <laughs> and I think a lot of people cry at this point. Because earlier in the movie, when they first meet and Hogarth is going home for the first time and leaving the giant out in the woods, he says, "You stay, no follow." Mm-hmm. And then at the end, the giant is going to kill himself, yeah, sacrifice himself to save everyone else, and he says, "You stay, no, no follow." follow. That was good. That was great.
0: I totally like that. That definitely hit me hard because that was like the end of their friendship, mm-hmm. and it was so sad to see that. But also, like, like you said, it kind of has a happy twist at the end, so it doesn't feel like it was all for nothing.
1: So overall, I'd say that his ability to make that choice and make in our minds and in Hogarth's mind of course the right choice Yeah. of course there's somehow people who think that this is like the, a bad thing <laughs> but um, to go against what he was programmed to be and be something new and be something better I think that's really his mm-hmm. her hero's journey but along the way I love the other little things they do to separate it from most heroes like early on there's that part where he's eating the train tracks yeah and then he has to put the tracks back together because the train's coming. Yeah. And any other movie, I think he puts them back together last minute. Woo, I did it. The end. But he doesn't. He gets hit by the train. Yeah. And I think there's a subtle, great little message there that failure is not the end of things, it's your resilience after the failure mm-hmm. because he gets hit by the train. And he puts himself back together very literally yeah. and goes on to learn from his mistakes and to grow. And that's a great little lesson that you don't get in a lot of because this is kind of a superhero movie in my mind. A lot of the the plotting of of it is more similar to a superhero movie than a lot of sci-fi movies. And you don't get those little moments of your big larger than life hero failing and then learning Mm -hmm. in a lot of them. But in the good ones, you do.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. In,
1: uh, some of the Spider-Mans, you will.
0: Spider-Mans. I love Spider-Man. This iteration of Spider-Man.
1: All those Spider-Man.
0: Some of the fun things throughout the movie that Hogarth and the giant do, like going swimming, and how Dean is kind of just like almost unwillingly along for the ride. Yeah. Um, like he's sitting there and he's like, oh, "I'm just, I guess, I'm just gonna read my paper at the beach," because <laughs> apparently we're at the beach now. And then the giant jumps in and like floods the entire forest, which would have been catastrophic for sure. <laughs> it would have ruined that entire town, I'm sure. But um, I just loved some of his like, oh, kids will be kids, right? Yeah. Like this, just he's just resigned to it. He's like, "I'm along for the ride. I'm here," and like. I have no control in this situation, <laughs> but he needs some sort of like supervision. I feel like Dean feels obligated to supervise them.
1: I wonder like, if he feels like that or if he also is just real lonely because they're both outcasts.
0: I think both.
1: I don't think many people talk to Dean and when they do, they don't take him seriously. Yeah. And I think for a guy who has lived away from everyone, I think he's kind of enjoying this little bit of responsibility that he gets. Yeah. What about the end of this movie? Because I looked at my notes and I have a lot and we've been talking for like an hour. So I think we'll just be like, uh, just stop there. Because if I get into whole other things and referential stuff, then we'll be here all day. So <laughs> let's
0: talk about the ending. Okay. Um, I was like sad when he sacrificed himself to save the town, but also happy. And then you get that, like, he did something bigger than himself, which is nice. Um, and then I liked that the ending, when in, like, true kids movie form, it's never, like, a sad ending. So having all of his little pieces, like, rolling around the earth, trying to get back to his head, which is in –
1: I think Iceland in a glacier or something.
0: Yeah. And uh, seeing him kind of like smile at the end was like really nice.
1: It was and it makes you feel good. And if it were up to me, I would have cut it.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, why?
1: I think it's more impactful having it be a full sacrifice, right? I I don't think the giant knows that that he'll just come back after. Mm -hmm. But the idea that he has gone from being the complete opposite of what he was meant to be. Mm-hmm. He was meant to be a weapon, and then his life ends with him stopping the, the greatest weapon the on weapon. this planet. Mm. I think there's no greater journey than that, that he has overcome his programming, he has learned from from mostly from Hogarth, but from seeing things happen around him, mm. by seeing the world with completely new eyes that had no prejudice to them all, at all, this is what he comes up with. And I get that you don't want it to be completely sad. But I do feel like it kind of diminishes things when it isn't the end of his story. Right. And it was such a fitting end. And it's not like he left a huge gap. Well, he did in the sense that Hogarth doesn't have that friend anymore. But Hogarth has already gained so much from that friendship, from Mm -hmm. that time they've had. He also has like a new family that's coming together now. Mm. So everything is going well for him. And uh, the villain has gotten their comeuppance and people of the town and like that other general guy, they have had their minds changed as well. They've all learned something from the giant. And I don't feel like we need to be like, oh, yeah. And then he comes back and does some more cool things. Right. Like, it was just such a a great uh, final point. And I know it's kind of, like, romantic in the, like, the true sense of romantic, not, like, um, romance. Right. But it's very romantic in that sense to, like, just have things end with death because that is the be-all, end-all. But it is. And he'd learned those lessons about death and him knowing that death is final – And death is not bad. Killing is bad. And him making the choice not to kill but to die, Mm -hmm. it's very poetic and just such a fine point at the end of that movie that I would have kept it that way.
0: I get that. I get why that would have been a good way to end it. But I did like that they made him a park and like... Yeah, I like that. And he gets to go visit his friend every day. That would have been a good way to end it, I think, without him like rolling back to life
1: yeah or if they wanted to do something maybe he has that one bolt and then just the bolt starts beeping Mm. and then you're like wait a minute is he gonna reassemble yeah but you just stop it there you don't need to show him like coming back to life right Uh, i guess that gives it a little hope so it's not a complete downer but it still lets me feel kind of uh, that closure of it all being done. yeah
0: yeah i like that or like it turning on in the night and maybe he's asleep so he doesn't see it but it it does start to flash or something and he doesn't wake up but it's like oh he's he he might still be out there what a nice robot yeah our second sponsor of the episode is park power your friendly local utilities provider in alberta offering internet electricity and natural gas with lower rates awesome service and profit sharing with local charities park power is owned by chris kazowski who has a growing and well-deserved reputation for being a guy who cares. If you're in Edmonton and area, you may have seen him around town in his signature bow tie, supporting local causes and boosting local businesses. Some of Park Power's community's partners receive 10% of the proceeds from your electricity build, like CKUA, Boys and Girls Club of Strathcona County, the Altview Foundation for Gender Variant and Sexual Minorities, Festival Place Cultural Arts Foundation, and Muscular Dystrophy Canada. So if you would like to switch providers, you can visit parkpower.ca.
1: Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. So uh, if you liked it, go do that subscribing and rating. We never pitched that because we don't really... Care as much, but we also apparently, we really talk about our
0: social media. Yeah,
1: nobody listens to this podcast to so go tell someone to go listen go, to it.
0: Go listen to
1: it. Yeah, make someone listen to it. We do this all the time. Yeah. Uh, every other episode is an episode like this, but next week, We will do a kind of in-between episode where Samantha and I will each have a small review of something, and it'll be spoiler-free, our things of the week, we call it. Yes. And then Samantha will let us know what we're watching for the big watch for the next week, and then the next week we'll be doing something like this again with Samantha's pick this time.
0: Yes. And I feel like if you are a regular listener of the show, you'll kind of know what we're already going to watch next week. <laughs>
1: oh, I'm excited. So, you know, let's just say it. Sam's been doing all the Step Up movies. Yes. And you know what? I'm going to be on a theme too. I'm going to follow your uh, lead. I went from The Day the Earth Stood Still to The Iron Giant, both 1950s sci-fi inspired things. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep the 1950s sci-fi going. Oh. But inspired
0: okay well i'm excited to find out what you're gonna pick but first but two weeks i will be revealing what our next movie will be and uh telling you probably about a book i've read because that's usually what my pick of the week is awesome okay we'll see you next week bye everyone bye